0: So um, it's my uh, privilege and joy this morning to introduce the founding father of this church actually, doesn't get to speak very often because lots of others of us are having a go but uh, it's great to have Paul with us and Paul is going to take us on into the Psalms this morning so let's welcome Paul. Thank you. Mark and I were standing in the minor hall next door and uh, looking at the topics that were left and uh, if I remember right, there was one that that was last week's topic, uh, dealing with worship and the other one was the God we worship. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, my goodness, who on earth is going to tackle that? I I heard myself say, I'll do it in my head, or say, Paul, what on earth do you think you're doing? I I ask you with tears in my big blue eyes, do you really think you could do something justice that that is the God we worship? And, uh, well, we're going to go for it this morning. The, the, I don't think there is anyone who can adequately tackle that as a topic, the God we worship, who can describe him, who can possibly fill out in, you know, the fullness that he represents, but here we are and we're going to do our level best this morning to stir something in our hearts about this God that we worship. As an overview, I think we could say a number of things about him. First of all, that he's probably, he is, no, erase that word probably, he is the most important person in the universe. There there is no one else like him. Uh, every, everyone else pales into insignificance. The most important person in this entire universe. He is also eternal. Existed even before the universe existed. Always has been, always will be. That's probably too much for our grey matter to get hold of, but that is the truth. He is eternal. He is supreme. Nobody can compare to our God. Sometimes we refer to him as Lord, not in a political sense, but simply to amplify the fact that he is the ultimate one and deserves all the respect we can give him. Lord. Lord. God is also omni. Omni simply means all. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. I mean, He has to be, doesn't He? To take nothing and produce this universe from nothing. He's omnipresent everywhere. God is everywhere. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing, everything, nothing is hidden from him. He's omnibenevolent, all-loving. Thank God that he is omnibenevolent. That he loves unconditionally. This same God that we worship is the God that many others wonder, why do they worship that God? You look at the beginning, close to the beginning anyway, when Moses asked God who he was and God responded by saying, I am who I am. And then towards the end, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who is this God that we worship? He transcends the ability to grasp with our thoughts He transcends the ability to describe with our words. He's just simply awesome, the God that we worship. We, as believers this morning, our hearts are joined with what the scriptures bring to us that upholds God as the ultimate one, indeed, that upholds Him as the supreme being, that upholds Him as the creator. And the originator of all that exists, that some of that has drifted away from him is not his fault. But he looked at everything that he'd created and he said, It is good. This God that we worship, the word says he is just, he is loving, he is gracious, he is compassionate, he is all consuming. It also says He's forgiving. Oh, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, He does judge some of our actions, but He's always ready to offer forgiveness. And I love the way the psalm puts it, Psalm 130 verse 4. It says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who on earth could stand? But with you there is Forgiveness. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful statement. With Him there is forgiveness. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we really struggle with how we are. We, we disappoint ourselves, perhaps even feel disgusted with ourselves. But He's a forgiving and a loving God. He is indeed the ultimate being in existence. He is perfect in power, perfect in love, and perfect in every aspect of His projection towards us. We can't better God. We can't find anything else or anyone else that can be more gracious, loving, and embracing than this God that we serve. Here's a great truth. When God created mankind as the jewel of His creation, He create, created us as spiritual beings so that we could relate to Him. And He created us in a way that we could decide and choose to love Him because He loves us. See, we're not robots. We're not robots. There's no control panel up in heaven that God punches a button and then we all begin to worship. No, it's a a choice of our wills. We do so because we want to worship this God. And to me that is a huge, huge truth. That He looks down upon the jewel of His creation. Once in a perfect setting but then because of sin departed from it. But now, with an understanding and with hearts that yearn for Him, we respond in worship. Our wills come to the fore and we decide, this God is worthy even more than I can describe. He is worthy of my worship. This is the God we know. This is the God we worship I'm going to take three verses out of one of the psalms Psalm 18 the first three verses Uh, it's actually a song that David wrote and he he wrote this song because uh, he wanted to sing about the victories God had given him over Saul and over all his enemies and uh, he wanted to glorify God you can find the full version of this psalm in 2 Samuel chapter 22. But he, he, he glorifies God, and I, I'd like us to look at the first three verses of that psalm, Psalm 18, and just listen to how he describes God. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress. And my Deliverer. The Lord is my God, my rock in whom, in whom I take refuge. My shield. The Lord is the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I have been saved from my enemies. And so David in those three verses describes God in in seven different ways. I know you'll find eight there, but really the the word refuge and the the stronghold are are very similar. They're, They're almost synonymous. But there are seven descriptions there that David uses to say how he sees God. And not only how he sees Him, but how he has actually experienced him, And so we're going to try and be homiletical here and put it into three main headings. And those headings will be, first of all, the God we worship is worthy of our delight. The God we worship is worthy of our dependence. And the God we worship is worthy of our devotion. Some people say that those descriptions are metaphors but I struggled with that a bit so I'm just going to stick with the the uh, explanation that they are seven descriptions of the God that we worship. Now don't forget David is singing this because he he's faced a torrid time. For seven years this man has been a fugitive. Seven plus years. Running... F- for his life, Saul pursuing him like a bloodhound, wanting to, to do David in, kill him, destroy him. And so David, when he knows that this God that he worshipped has undertaken in a marvellous way for him and given him the victory, he describes the God that he worships. And it is the same God that you and I worship. Just as he had a victory song in that song, we too have a victory song. Because God saved us from our enemies. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, it says this, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans eight thirty seven, Knowing all these things, in all that we face, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, we too once were hounded by hell. There was somebody after our souls, somebody who wanted to drag us down so that we would spend eternity with him in that dark, horrible place. But God stepped into our lives and He provided a way out so that you and I can know that we will spend an eternity with Him in total victory over all that hounds us in this life. This is the God that you and I worship. Worship is an old English word that basically just simply means worth-ship. and so what we are doing when we worship this god we are we are accrediting him with all the praise and the honor that is due to him because he is the one who provides the victory for us again and again he is the one who goes before us and enables us to have a song in our hearts And we sang some of those this morning. Wonderful sentiments expressed in song. I would encourage you, you know, that those moments when you're thinking about God and you realise just how great He is. Try a song of your own. Just, just, all right, don't do it in front of somebody else, but go into the bathroom or the bedroom or somewhere and try singing a song that just comes from your heart. It won't, it doesn't have to be perfect. I tell you what, He'd love it. He'd love to listen to you sing it. Whether you sing off-key or not, it doesn't matter. It is the sentiment of your heart that you're expressing to Him. So we too have a song that we sing. He indeed is worthy. Let's look at that first heading that we had. God is worthy of our delight. And this is how David starts it by saying in verse 1: There he says, I love you, Lord. What a beautiful thing for us to be saying all the time. I mean, if I tell my puppy dog that I love him, then surely I can tell God that I love him. And you're not being weird when you say that. You are honoring the one who's the ultimate being in this universe. You say, God, my heart is for you. I love you. And that's exactly what David was doing here. A declaration of his heart. The object of his love. This God that we worship. And it's interesting when I looked at that word love in the original language, it actually... It's from a primitive root that by implication means to hug. And David is not being irreverent when he says that. You know, he's simply saying, God, you mean so much to me that I just love to inch up to you and to give you a hug. That's the RAS interpretation. But that is what the original language implies. By implication, a hug. And isn't that what we do with objects or people that we love? A child, a mate, a partner, a loved one? We hug them. That's why you and I hug one another. Okay, they might think that's strange, but I don't mind. Uh, Oh, a hug's beautiful because a hug fits all sizes. Lord, I love you. This is the emotion that we find that Mary Magdalene expressed after the crucifixion when she went to the grave and discovered that it was empty and Jesus was there and she responded with with love and with this, this emotion. So much so that in John 20 verse 17 Jesus said, stop clinging to me. This, this, this was more than just a touch. She had embraced the Lord. The disciples did exactly the same thing when they saw Jesus after His resurrection. Matthew 28 verse 9 says, And they came up and took hold of His feet. And again, when you study that, it means that they hugged His knees. Just as in, the, in Scripture, the, the hand incorporated the wrist. So when they hugged his feet, they were were probably clinging to the lower parts of his leg. I love you, Lord. It's all right to say that. It's all right in your heart and with the eyes of your spirit to embrace him, to kiss his feet, to just love him. This is why our God is the God we worship. Because in 1 John four nineteen it says this, we love Him because He first loved us. Yeah. The second description we have is our God is worthy of our dependence. And here we see that David has a praise for a personal God. He, he, he uses the pronoun, pronoun, "My God." Think about that. This God who loves the world and, and, and there are or I don't know, but probably billions who are his, you can still say, "My God." It becomes personal. And it is personal. God has that ability. It's unique. It's, it's, it's beyond understanding. But in, in the midst of all those followers and ones who love Him, He knows you individually. My God. My Lord. This is the praise to a personal God. Now isn't it true to say that children... That pronoun is one of the first they learn, my toy, my mummy, my house, my doggy, whatever. And so when we use that pronoun, it is saying I am totally dependent upon this person whom I can refer to as my God. God. Paul the Apostle says this of himself and of us in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I but God who was working through me by his grace. David did, uh, uh, apologies, Paul did not depend upon his own abilities, although he was a scholar in his own rights. But he acknowledges in in this verse here, he said, not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. He's acknowledging his dependence upon this God that we worship. What do we accomplish without him? Nothing. John 15 verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. What do we, agree, what do we achieve with him? Everything. Philippians 4 13. For I can do everything through God who gives me strength. And so it was David's plan to live his life for God, to give all that he had to God. Because he understood that as long as he depended on God, God would direct his footsteps and ensure that he fulfilled the purpose for which he was born. I want to do that, don't you? We then find through some of these descriptions how he depends on God. He calls God my strength, and we've already spoken about that. That is the first description. In essence, what he's saying, I will lean on the Lord. God's strength is all that he needs to make it through life, God's strength is his power in our lives. So we get to the second description. He says, God is my rock. And that word refers to a craggy cliff, to a cleft in the rock. He is the one that I can stand on. He is the place where I can hide. They had a competition as to who could paint the picture that depicted peace. Peace. The most accurately and there were all kinds of beautiful paintings, meadows and trees and houses and children in, 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 in parents' arms, uh, all along those lines, but the one that won the prize was a picture of a storm, a storm on the edge of, of, of a coast somewhere and and It focused in on a rock, and as you look closer, right in the rock, there was a hollow, and in the hollow was this little bird, and whilst the storm was raging around in that area, that little bird was safe and peaceful in that rock. You and I, we are hidden in the cleft of the rock. We have our feet planted upon the rock. God is our rock. I suppose we could say God is our stability. Psalm 40 verse 2, And he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. There were times when David must have felt absolutely helpless and without hope because things were so against him. But he writes from experience, people. And he says, This God whom I worship, he took me and he set my feet on a firm place, on a rock. He put me where I could stand where I wouldn't slip and fall. That's the God that you and I serve. That's the God that we worship. It reminds us that when the world seems to be so topsy-turvy and, you know, we're finding it difficult to make headway, that this God is our stability. As long as we are in Him, as long as we are in this rock, on this rock, we're going to be all right. Jesus is our rock. We're not on the rocks. No, Jesus is our Gibraltar, and He will keep us safe through it all it goes on to give us the third description, God is our safety. He refers to it as God is my fortress. And again, the language that the original brings us is that it's like a, a castle. It's like a place that is filled with strength and built so strongly that it can't be moved. Reminds us that the Lord is a place of safety that will never, ever be shaken. Psalm 57 verse 1 puts it like this, Have mercy on me, my God. Why is he saying that? Because he's in trouble. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. whenever you find yourself in a storm, rush to the rock because it will be your stability. The rock will be the place where you can hide, where you can find safety. When the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy, remember, run to the rock. He is our fortress. This is the God that you and I worship. It brings out the fourth description and he, he says that God is, God is my deliverer. What he means is God is my saviour. Uh, he, the Hebrew again amplifies it and says it is one who saves, one who rescues, one who delivers one from another danger. Our saviour. Oh, that word, He's my deliverer, is just filled with glory. For you and I, it points to that time when we received Him by faith. He delivered us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son, which is a kingdom of light. And as we've walked with Him from that point onwards, day by day, we experience the saving grace. 1 John 1 verse 7 If we walk in the light as He is in the light and we have fellowship one with another the blood of His Son Jesus Christ cleanses us present continuing uh, uh, tense cleanses us from all sins so He saved us, yes And we were brought into His kingdom and He removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, an indeterminable distance. And now He keeps on saving you and me every single day. As we walk in the light and we fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us as we continue on in our journey. And it will ultimately... Save us when we will spend eternity with Him. Never, ever, ever having to face any form of danger that there might be separation. Once and for all, saved by the grace of this God. Listen to Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. This is the God that we worship. It gives us the fifth description that He is our shield. Sometimes troubles come in life and we face difficulty because we've been silly, we've done silly things. But there are many other times when, when, when the enemy of our souls purposes to bring what he is, loss, death, destruction, he, he intends to bring that across our paths. But something happens. Our shield comes between us and this coming storm and stands there and delivers us. I reckon one day in heaven you and I are going to be absolutely amazed and it will result in untold worship from us to this God because we will understand how many times He was our shield that He came between us and disaster. I think of one of the greatest displays of Jesus being our shield and that was on Calvary. When he hung on that cross, he was the shield that came and by his provision stood between us and the wrath of God. I love 1 John 2 verse 2. It's a beautiful passage where Jesus, where, where John says this about Jesus, who's our shield. He says he is the propitiation. In other words, he is the, the one who stood in our place and incurred divine favor for us, while he experienced that, what it meant to be separated from, his, from, his, from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was his cry. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours no. only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the God that you and I worship the one who became our shield. The sixth description is, he says, he is my horn of salvation. In other words, God is my security. Horn simply means a place of strength and conquest. And the Lord is the strength of our salvation. He is the one that's going to take care of us. He is the one that's going to see us reach the ultimate destination. Whether this life is like a storm or not, remember, when the disciples found themselves in one, they then, suddenly when Jesus became part of their life, they found themselves on the other side. And that is his intention for you and I. He doesn't intend for us to make it halfway and have the boat sink. He wants us to reach the other side. He wants us to know what it's like to experience His provision for eternity. Absolute security. John 6, 38 to 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. It's Jesus speaking. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in the Son shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. Rest back in His arms today. He hasn't lost anyone yet. He's not going to start with you. And as long as you walk in the light and fellowship with one another, as long as you keep your hand in His, as long as you are in Christ, you're going to make it to the other side. When I thought of the horn of salvation, I had this picture of a cornucopia in my mind, which means a horn of plenty. And it's just the curved goat's horn that is filled to overflowing with fruit and with grain, etc. In other words, overflowing abundance. We find ourselves in that place. He is our security. He is our salvation. And then the final description. God is our supply. David calls it god being our high tower god being our stronghold in ancient cities they had high towers where the soldiers would gather and when they were attacked they would fire down on the attackers volleys of arrows or pour hot water or oil on them drop big stones down on their heads you see this this high tower was a vantage point It was also a place where there were supplies. uh, Grain and water and and other items of need were were stored in these high towers. And so when you look at that picture that David is giving us here, he's saying that I find in God a place of, of security. I find in God a place of provision. I find in God a place of safety. that is what our god is this god that we worship when the battle rages about us we can run to him and we can find that security we need we can find that refreshment we need we can find the help that we need by being in our stronghold our high tower 1 samuel 17:47 and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. Never forget the battle is the Lord's. Just run into Him. And as you come before Him and in constant devotion and prayer, uh, and, and and just yielding yourself over to him, he will fight the battle. He'll give you the strategy, what to say, what to do, where to go. But he'll fight the battle. This is why this God is worthy of our worship. And I close with the last point. He is worthy of our devotion. in the midst of all the crises that David faced, he focused on praising this worthy God. His life, his walk, his aims, his ambitions, his rulership, all of it he placed in the hands of God. Because he knew that the God that he'd experienced yesterday was going to be the God he'd know today and the God that he could depend on for the future. What a lesson. What a lesson for us to learn from David. As children of God, we, we all these things that David says he was, we can experience that if we will believe him and cling to him and become hidden in him. Psalm 145 verse 1, I will exalt you my God the King, I will praise your name forever and ever, every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. that would be a good one for you to go into your bathroom with and sing out to the Lord. (laughs) Let us remember who the Lord is and what He has done. Let us worship Him, honour Him, let us praise Him. Remember, our God is a God who is worthy of our delight. A God who is worthy of our dependence. A God who is worthy of our devotion. Worthy to be loved. Worthy to be praised. Worthy to be exalted. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we together say something in honor and worship of this God that we serve. Will you stand with me? The slide's going to come up here and it's from verse 46 of Psalm 18. And I'd like us to say it together. I'd like us to say it in worship. I'd like us please to say it in acknowledgement of this great God who is greater than anything we can grasp. We're going to know something about Him once we are with Him. There's going to be a, a... I, I, I think God's going to give us a greater understanding of who He is. Yeah. But will we ever plummet His depths? I don't know. I think it's going to take eternity for us to get somewhere in understanding that. So can we at least now this side of that experience, can we with praise and worship yes. and meaning it, can we say together these words? Are you ready? The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalt be God, my Savior. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not, and I'm changing it a little bit, who He is. He alone is God. So let us be about the business of exalting this God, the God. That you and I worship because He is worthy. Amen. 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 Why don't you turn to one another, congratulate one another that you serve this God, and then we can enjoy something to uh, some refreshments in the hall next door. Thank you for being so attentive. God bless you.